We're in Judges chapter 6 and going to go into 7 today. And with a little luck, just might go through chapter 7. Anyway, Tim has a handout back here if you'd like one. See him. We ended last week with the controversy that resulted when Gideon destroyed the altar to Baal and he used the Asherah then as wood to burn it all up. And the people of the town got all bent out of shape and they came after him and decided that they were going to kill him. And Gideon's dad stepped in and said, no, if you, if you try to take my son out, you'll be dead before morning. If, if Baal is a god, let Baal contend for himself. And so Jerubbabel is, is the nickname that they gave Gideon then. And that actually means let Baal contend. So it was probably thought by the individuals that hung, him on, hung it on him that Gideon would be dead by morning. You know, what a, what a dummy. What a dummy going against the god Baal. Baal will wipe him out. I'm sure he won't last. Well, the nickname that was derogatory at first turns out to be a badge of honor because he continues to have that name hung on him. As a matter of fact, the next chapter will start with then Jerubbabel and in parentheses, that is Gideon. So anyway, while all this is going on, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples are joining forces. They crossed over the Jordan. They're camped in the, the Valley of Jezreel. They're waiting for a battle. And as we pointed out before, uh, the descendants of Abraham through Keturah, another wife or concubine, not sure which, it says both in the Old Testament, uh, but those individuals were the uh, the ancestors of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern people. So this is all distantly related folks to these Israelites back through Abraham. And anyway, they're all gathered together, and they're waiting for a battle. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. Literally, it is, he is clothed with the Spirit. Uh, the ESV actually says it that way. Others that the Spirit came upon the Lord. There are many verses that says something similar here in Judges, and I've listed those verses for you there under number 17. But if you recall, when Jesus is, is addressing his disciples before he ascends back to heaven, in, um, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for what? Until you are clothed with power from on high. The very same thing that has happened to Gideon, the Holy Spirit has clothed him. The Holy Spirit would clothe them. And so it's, it's interesting that that same terminology has come about. So Gideon then blows the trumpet and he alerts every, all the Abyssalites, which are his ancestors, his close ancestors probably in that town. He announces to them via the trumpet to, that I need you to come, and they respond. But he, then he also sends out messengers, messengers to uh, Manasseh, which is his tribe, 
and then to Asher, to Zebulun, and Naphtali, tribes that are close by. And the people respond. Here comes an army. They're coming to gather together with Gideon. The size of the Lord's army, you're going you're to figure out when you get to chapter 7, is 32,000. Now, that sounds like a pretty good number, right? But if you get into chapter 8, you find out the size of the opposition. The opposition ranks in the order of 135,000. So about 4 to 1. Quite a few more of the enemy than there are of the, the folks from Israel. But the, the call didn't go out further. The call didn't go out to all the tribes. Uh, it, it was limited. And they get 32,000. Uh, as a matter of fact, in, in the next chapter, it will say the camels that these individuals had were without number. Kind of like counting the sand on the seashore, which is a term that is used over and over in Scripture. But a lot of camels, which would allow them more mobility in the uh, event of a battle. So you could easily see how they could be outmaneuvered and outnumbered with 135,000 and innumerable camels versus 32,000. So it's, it's probable that Gideon doubts God's command. Does God really want him to lead this army? He didn't know anything about warfare. And as we said, he's not only an ordinary farmer, he's a scared farmer. He's threshing out wheat inside a wine vat. Surely there are other people out there that could do a better job than he is. So God, or Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, let me... Let me let me test this. Uh, let me put out a fleece, and overnight, should that fleece be wet and the ground dry, then I will know. That's what he tells God now. Then I will know that you intend to save Israel by my hand, as you have said. If not, you're a liar, God. Isn't that what he just said? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just continuing his sentence there. But he says, then I'll know. He rises up early in the morning and he goes and gets the fleece. The ground's dry, but he squeezes out what? It's full of water. So obviously that worked. But he goes to God again and he says, Please do not be angry with me, God. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with this fleece. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the scripture says we are not supposed to test God, right? Maybe that's why he says, please don't be angry with me, God, because I'm fixing to test you again. Already did it one time, I'm going to test you again. Even though I said, if the fleece is wet, the ground is dry, I will know that you're going to save Israel by my hand, and yet I'm going to do it again. This time, he says, allow me one more test. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. God did so. And that was probably a harder test for us humans anyway, because the ground was now wet, and it's hard ground, which is probably harder to do. And the fleece was dry. So there could be nothing... 
nothing then that would keep Gideon from believing God. And apparently that was okay with God because in the next few verses, God reiterates his promise to Gideon that he will indeed deliver Israel by his hand. Do you ever do... It's a term I hadn't heard before until I got into this study, but have you ever put out the fleece? Now, think hard... Have you ever said, God, if this happens and this happens, I will... You ever done that? But if this happens and this happens, then I will... What are you doing? You're testing God, right? If you do this and if you do that, then I will do this. But if this happens and this happens, I will do that. Well, what happens if the first time around you don't like the results that you had and you said, but God, let me try you one more time. If this happens and this happens, I will do that. But if this happens and this happens, I will do that. If y'all ever done that, go this way. You probably have, right? And we know you're not supposed to test God. But we do. He did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can you can make deals with the devil, but you you shouldn't try to make deals with God. But we do, I think. Early the next morning, Jerubael, that is Gideon, and his men were camped at the spring of Herod. Now Herod means trembling. And it's interesting that it has that name. Likely it got that name after the events that take place there, right? And the other enemy, the Midianites, and those with them are camped at Moreh, M-O-R-E-H, which means teacher, because they're fixing to be taught a lesson. So the names have, names oftentimes in the Bible have meaning, and these certainly do. Camped where there's trembling, and then camp where there's a lesson to be taught or teacher. So they are gathered together at about a four-mile distance from each other. And if I can get these pages to turn, I'll tell you what's next. The Lord said to Gideon, there's too many men. (laughs) There's too many men. Because if you conquer the Midianites, with this army that you have, you will say, or Israel will say, we did it. Look what we did. We managed to conquer the Midianites. This massive army that we had, we had 32,000 and we took them out. God said, that's too many. Because you're going to make a claim that you did it. Or some of you will make a claim that you did it. Now, in the story of Deborah and Barak, God had already showed that he was more powerful than any uh, mounted army. You know, he destroyed this this army of chariots. They had superior military power. Now he's coming against a superior military force. But he's not going to do it with 32,000. Instead, he says what? You tell those people that anybody that's out there that is scared, they're shaking in their boots, they're trembling, That's where the name comes from, right? Anybody that's trembling out there, you can tell them they can go home. 
Because we don't need them here. And you know what? That's actually what was in the law. The law actually stated that in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 5 through 8. The officers of the army shall say, if anyone has built a house and has not yet dedicated it, let him go home. Otherwise, he would die in battle and somebody else would dedicate his home. Interesting. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home and enjoy that vineyard. Otherwise, he may die in battle and somebody else would enjoy that vineyard. Has anyone become pledged to a woman? He's engaged, but he's not yet married. Let him go home and marry that woman. Otherwise, he might die in battle and somebody else would marry the woman he's engaged to. And then the one we're talking about. Then let the officer add, if any man is afraid or faint-hearted, let him go home so that his brothers will not become disheartened too. Doesn't want that fear to go throughout the camp. Doesn't want that, that scared feeling to go through the camp. So you, you get all the scaredy cats and you send them home. That was actually in the law. It's always happening here. So Gideon has this army of 32,000. He says, okay, all of you that are scared, you're dismissed. You can go home. How many of them leave? <laughs> How many of them leave? 22,000 of them leave. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Gideon, that would be really disheartening to me to suddenly see more than two-thirds of your army just get up and leave. Now I'm only left with 10,000. 10,000 and i got to fight this battle. But what does God say? That's too much. That's too many. Now, Gideon has tested God twice. Actually, thrice. You know, he had a miracle right off the bat when he, when he put together this offering and the angel touched it with a staff. Fire came out of a rock and consumed the entire offering that he had. The angel has told him, well, actually the prophet, I guess, told them first that they would win. Uh, the, the angel has told him, God has told him, he's heard this at least three times already, that he is going to be victorious. But he tested God twice. Now God is going to test him twice. When you're making your deals with God, do you ever wonder, once you get the answer that you sought, that God might in turn test you to see just how true you are to the deal that you tried to make? Because Gideon tested God twice. He got the answer that he maybe didn't want, but the answer that he needed in order to do what he was going to do. And now God says, okay, that's fine. I've got a test for you. How about cutting your army by two-thirds? Let's see how let's see how good you are then. Well, now that you cut it by two-thirds, I got another test for you. Let's cut it again. And so now he tells Gideon, you take them all down there to the stream, and you observe how they drink. And then you separate them by the way they drink. 
Now, I've, I've read commentators that talk about, oh, well, this, the guy that drinks this way, well, he's more alert, you know, he's looking for danger. The enemy's four miles out, you know, so there's nothing about that. Uh, others that, you know, if, if you if you get down uh, to drink in that fashion, you're so confident that, that you don't worry about the enemy, you know. So both of them seem good, depending on who's who's making the argument. But really, in in fact, there's nothing to it. It's just different ways of drinking water. And God said, I want 300. <laughs> 300 drank one way. 9,700 drunk another. Now that you've separated them by how they drink, you tell the 9,700, go to their tents. Now, there's some differentiation here. Uh, as to whether they went home or not. Some people think they went home, and some of your translations indicate that they may have gone home. Others tend to think that going to their tent just meant they're staying in the camp. They're going to be ready for the roundup later, but they didn't go home. I don't know. But they went to their tent, it says, I think in verse 7. 9,700 of them went to their tent. 300 now are with Gideon. 300. And it says here that Gideon kept them. He kept the 300. This word kept is literally to hate, take fast hold of. <laughs> In other words, Gideon's like, grabbing these guys, you are not leaving. I'm going to have 300. You 300, there's no way out for you. You're going to stick around. So he has taken an army of 32,000, reduced it by two-thirds, and now cut it all the way down to 300. You have to imagine that Gideon is wondering just how low can it go? Exactly how bad is this going to be? Is it still going to work? But if you remember Paul, Paul writing to the Corinthians talked about a thorn in the flesh that he had, a messenger from Satan that tormented him. Three times he pleaded to the Lord to take it away. It's in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And Jesus replied to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, Therefore I boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake... I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's something that Gideon is going to learn now, too. When it looks like you're just about as weak as you can get, when it looks like there's just no hope, the only thing you can do is rely on God and rely on his promises. And that's the situation Gideon is in now. Um, if you remember first first Samuel fourteen six, when uh, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer decided to go sneak down uh, into an enemy camp, and and he tells he tells his armor bearer he says God can save by many or by a few, and based on what they heard. Now here's another test, right? Based on what they heard, they would either sneak back. Or they would commence to fighting. 
<laughs> and the word they got, they commenced to fighting. And of course, they had a great victory. They started a rout, and it was a great victory. All started by Jonathan and his armor bearer, because God could save by many or by a few. Moses has even told the people of Israel, uh, back in Deuteronomy, I think it is, yeah, Deuteronomy 32, 30, that one soldier could chase a thousand. Two would put 10,000 to flight. Now, if you lose, if you use that kind of logic, Gideon really only needed about 27 or 28 soldiers, and he could take care of 135,000. <laughs> uh, that's probably not what's going through Gideon's mind. During the night, the Lord comes to Gideon and he says, Get up and go down to the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. This is at least the fourth time he has been promised that God is going to give the Midianites into his hand. At least four. If you are afraid to attack, <laughs> and you got to know he's, he's got to, he doesn't, he doesn't get the option, right? The others, if you're scared, you can leave. And two-thirds of them did. More than two-thirds of them did. But God is not giving Gideon the option. If you're scared, go home. Right? He says, if you're scared, go down into the camp. As a matter of fact, take your servant with you. If you're really chicken to go by yourself, take your servant with you. Y'all go down into the camp, and you will see, and you will hear, you will observe some things that will reassure you. You see, God, God does not make fun of or make light of our fears. But rather, he works with us to build our confidence and our trust through his promises. This is at least the fourth time now that Gideon has heard this, and he's fixing to get another confirmation message when he goes down into the camp. <clears throat> so he goes down with Pura, his servant, and there's a couple of guys that are talking down there. The one says, I had a dream. And in my dream, there was a barley loaf that rolled down the hill and wiped out a tent. Hmm. Now, to me, that, I mean, I, I can see how they, how they interpreted it the way they did. But to me, that just is not intuitively obvious of what it means. As I understand it, barley bread is a staple food of the poor, and certainly the Israelites were poor at this stage. So thus, the barley bread represents the poor Israelite farmers. The tent then being the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend said, this can be nothing but the sword of Gideon. Wow. This could be nothing but the sword of Gideon. Where did he get that? <laughs> not only that, guess what? Gideon's not carrying a sword. Or well, he may be carrying a sword by this point, but he doesn't use his sword in the battle. He may use his, his sword in the cleanup operation afterwards, but he does not use the sword in the battle. But anyway, this must be the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. He knows... Who it is, he knows who his daddy is, and he knows where he's from. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Gideon, I would, my ears would have perked up at that. This is the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite? Why, he knows everything about me. Hmm. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Whoa. That's the interpretation this guy got out of this. That's the interpretation that Gideon and his servant heard. They know who he is. They know who his daddy is. They know where he's from. And not only that, they know that God has already granted him the victory. The battle is yet to be fought. And they know they're goners. They know it's over. Wow. Gideon's response is what? (laughs) Hopefully it'd be just like you and me. He fell down and worshiped God. Oh, buddy. Yes, sirree. He fell down and worshiped God. Four times God or an angel has told him already that this is going to happen. Now he's heard a confirming dream and interpretation thereof. And his response is, I need to worship God. You remember back in Joshua uh, chapter 2 when the spies were sent in uh, to uh, Jericho and they're received by Rahab and Rahab grants them safety and she sends them out another way. Before she sends them out, she says in in chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. And that great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Rahab knew before the battle was ever fought, it was already decided God would be the victor. The Israelites would take Jericho. And she goes then, of course, and pleads for her her life and her families because she's helped them. But she knew and she states to them that all these people are scared to death already. They're melting with fear. Because of you. Gideon, overwhelmed with God's goodness and his mercy, falls flat on his face and worships God. Then he returns back to his camp and he says what? Get up! (laughs) Now, Now he's ready to take charge. Now he's ready to be the brave guy. Now he's ready to fight the battle. You guys get up. Not only do you get up, but the Lord has given the Midianites into our hand. So... Now he's positive. It took a lot. He finally got there. But now he's positive that the Midianites have been given over to them. He says, watch me. Do as I do. Follow my lead. Do as I do. And and if you do that, then everything's going to be fine. So he divides the men into three companies, right? So (laughs) you got 300. Now you're splitting them 100 each. And you're going to spread out around the Midianites. You're going to take what? A jar with a torch in it, and you're going to take a trumpet. So you got 300 guys with a jar, a, a, uh, a torch, and a trumpet. Trumpets were used to announce calls. Could be a call for charge, could be a, a charge, or a call for assembly, could be a charge, or a call for retreat. But if you got 300 of them, that would kind of imply 300 leaders. 
which could mean that there are 300,000 men. So if you're in the camp of Midian, and you know already that the battle is lost, you know that the Lord is going to wipe you out, and suddenly, all the way around you, there is light, there's a sound of trumpet, and there's this racket from the jars, and the trumpets are sounding. So what do you do? It's the middle of the night, right? What do you do? Buddy, you run for cover. You And you take your sword out and you hack down anything that's in your way. So what are they doing? They're killing each other. <laughs> uh, they're surrounded by a massive army. There's no telling how many people are out there. Because you've got 300 trumpets that are sounding. You've got 300 torches in the air. <laughs> uh, and what does it say the Israelites did? They stood firm in their positions and they watched all this play out in the dark. And as they're massacring each other, they are heading out in any different direction that they can go. Now begins the mopping up operation. They cried out, it's interesting too, I forgot the shout. So there's not only the trumpets and there's not only torches, there's also the cry a sword for the Lord and to Gideon. How many of them are mounting a sword right now? <laughs> None. In the one hand, they have a torch. In the other hand, they have a trumpet. That's it. They're fighting a battle without fighting. God is doing the fighting. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. But we're not going to use a sword. Matter of fact, you guys are going to use your own swords and kill each other. The Israelites stood their position initially. Midianites killed each other and ran for cover. And in the process, they attacked anything that they met in the dark, thus creating a massacre. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh were called out to pursue the Midianites. God did the attacking the Israelites are doing the pursuing. Now they probably got their swords. It's obvious that 300 couldn't pursue this 130, well, what's left of this 135,000. So now you've got people coming in, probably the ones that were sent to the tent and the ones that were sent home. And they even sent a call out to Ephraim. And they sent in folks too. Everybody now is in the cleanup operation. They are pursuing the enemy and taking them out as they go. It's even pointed out that Ephraim took out a couple of the princes or leaders or generals. I think most people think they're, they're leaders of the army or probably generals. One that was killed, and they're, inter, they're interested in the name. Oreb means raven. Zeb means wolf. They are killed, one, at a wine press. Isn't it interesting that Gideon was found first at a wine press? Now this guy is killed at a wine press. Gideon offered an offering to God that was consumed on a rock. And the other guy is killed at a rock. It's interesting how that whole thing made a big circle. This was a huge battle. God had totally destroyed this army. With so few men, it could only have been God that did it. The 300 that, that led the attack didn't attack. The 300 that... Wage didn't wage war. This was such 
a thing that it's remembered in Psalms 83, verses 9 and 12, 9 through 12. And Isaiah referenced it twice, one in chapter 9 and also again in chapter 2 or chapter 10. God doesn't need large armies. God doesn't need gifted leaders. God knew amazing things with small things and insignificant people. When we as a church start getting worried about our bigness, the size, or the size of our budget, or the size of our building, or anything else, we're getting sidetracked. God doesn't need big crowds. He doesn't need big budgets. He needs faith. He needs us to have faith in his promises because that's what he can bless. And that's where we need to be, too, just as Gideon was. It took him a long time to get there. Hopefully it doesn't take us that long to get there. We don't have to make too many deals with God. We don't have to test him. Just remember, we already know he's going to test us. Don't don't make it worse. Don't test God, because then he's going to test you again. Thank you very much for your attention today. And we will pick up with chapter 8 next time.